Well, good morning. I am delighted to be able to be back with you and just want to remind you once again, if you would be willing to share right now, take a moment and just share um, on social media that you're watching, you're joining us live, we would be delighted for you to do that. The topic today is one that I think obviously speaks to all of us, especially during COVID-19, but it actually speaks to us anyway as people who live on a broken and hurting planet. But we can ask, where is God in our pain and how are we to process it? This pandemic has brought with it great loss, fear, and death. And with our 24-7 news cycle, we are acquainted with all of the details and so many sad stories. There are literally people dying without their families and families unable to grieve and mourn in community. There's the fear that has gripped those who are senior citizens or have underlying health issues. We can no longer safely attend church, go to work, or even the grocery store without wearing a mask, washing our hands, and yet still fearing we may contract the virus. In fact, I remember the first week that they asked all of us to wear masks in public, I went into a Kroger to pick up something, and I almost pulled my phone out to take a picture because there was such a long line of people checking out, and everybody in the line had masks, and it was just so surreal to think I'm actually living in a time that we cannot go out in public safely without wearing some type of medical mask. There have also been losses and disappointments in the midst of this that we don't want to just overlook. Weddings have been canceled or rescheduled or celebrated with just a handful of family and friends. The birth of babies have been unable to be attended by grandparents and extended families. Birthdays have been celebrated virtually. And bless our dear seniors who have had to give up their proms and graduation and actually just spending this last semester with their friends. And also loneliness during this quarantine. You know, we're created in the image of God as relational beings. And so consequently, touch and presence are very important for our well-being. So how are we to cope in the midst of a pandemic with worldwide impact? We need to realize that sickness and death are the result of sin. Sin always separates. And we are seeing a physical representation of the separating power of sin. So we ask the question, are we allowed to grieve as Christians? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, the Bible is full of people who grieved, lost, and who would take their complaint to the Lord. In fact, the Bible has a word for it. It's called lament. And the definition is to feel, show, or express grief, sorrow, or regret, to mourn deeply. You know, we also know that what the enemy has intended for evil, God will use for our good. So we must seek him and be attentive to his voice in the midst of all of this. John Ortberg quotes Dallas Willard in his book, Soul Keeping, on the importance of our souls and tending our souls during a time like this. He says, if your soul is healthy, no external circumstance can destroy your life. If your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem your life. The salvation of your soul is not just about where you go when you die. The word salvation means healing or deliverance at the deepest level of who we are in the care of God through the presence of Jesus. Sooner or later, your world will fall apart. What will matter then is the soul that you have constructed. 
How is your soul? Have you been building your soul up by immersing yourself in the word of God and turning to the God of the word with all of our questions and even complaints? You know, there's an entire book in the Bible about lament. It's called Lamentations, written by Jeremiah after the conquering of the southern kingdom and the people being taken off into captivity to Babylon. We also have psalms of lament. In fact, most theologians would classify almost half of the psalms as psalms of lament. There's an excellent book on lament, and the title is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And in it, the author says, lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Christians affirm that the world is broken. God is powerful, and he will be faithful. Therefore, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. Did you get that? Lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. So how are we to lament biblically? Well, Jesus is our example. As we turn to the word of God, as we look at Jesus Christ, we know he lived life as we should live it. He is the only perfect man to ever live. He's the second Adam who lived the life we couldn't live and gave his life for us on Calvary. We've just recently celebrated all that that points to as we celebrated Easter. You know, it was impossible for death to hold him. In fact, Acts 2.24 says, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. We so often sing that song, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. And because we are in Christ, death cannot hold us. We know as believers, there are two deaths. There's a physical death and there's also a spiritual death. He has not only broken the hold of death, but he's also broken the fear of death. We grieve, 1 Thessalonians tells us, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. In fact, I want you to turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 2. And I want us to look at verses um, 17, let's see, we'll go to 14 through 18, actually. In Hebrews chapter 2, it would help if I got to Hebrews. I'm in Ephesians thinking those verses don't look right. (laughs) Okay, now we're in Hebrews. Therefore, since the children, children of God, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, Jesus, also partook of the same. But through death, that he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. We know that Jesus Christ conquered the devil on the cross. It was there that he crushed the head of the serpent. And that he might free, from, free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in those things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So what we just said, he took our place on the cross paying our sin debt. 
For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. Jesus Christ, we know, was tempted in all ways, just as we are yet without sin. So he is able to come to our aid. He understands. He is our example. Jesus went into the grave. He took away the fear of death because he turned on the light. When Steve was preaching this last week and he was talking about the tribulation, one of the things that marks the great tribulation is darkness. Darkness will come upon the earth. The sun will be darkened. The moon will be red, blood red. So it will be a time of darkness. What happened on the cross from noon to three? What happened? It was dark. It was midnight, midnight at midday. Why? Because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. We know that the tribulation is once again the wrath of God coming. And it's the wrath of God that covers the earth that will cause the darkness because the light will be covered. But Jesus Christ is the light. And we are the light of the world as long as we're here. So we're to bring light into the darkness as we live for him. And as we look at Jesus Christ, we know Jesus felt. We see his emotions when we look at the gospels. Jesus grieved deeply at the tomb of Lazarus and he wept with Mary. Jesus experienced righteous anger when he cleansed the temple. He felt compassion when he looked out at the multitudes and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he experienced great anguish in the garden of Gethsemane where he literally sweat drops of blood. Jesus felt and Jesus expressed his emotions. And I want to tell you right now, he may not calm the storm that is around us, but he is more than able to calm the storm within us if we will turn to him. So Jesus is our example and his word is our foundation. And I want us to dig into his word as we turn to the book of Psalms. In fact, open to Psalm chapter one. The book of Psalms is literally a book of poems that were sung. They're songs. It's the Psalter. It's the songbook of the Israelites. And yet so many of them are laments. They are people expressing their raw and very deep emotions to the Lord. And we're going to see in the Psalms, we have a pattern for lament, a way to lift our request, our complaints to the Lord, and yet to turn to him and to trust his character and literally to allow our complaints to turn to praise as we focus on who he is and all that he has done for us. Emotions are God-given. And we've been given examples in scripture of those who have turned to the Lord in their times of deep grief and lament. Our emotions should point us to Christ, not away from him. You know, those are the two responses in our difficulty. We either turn to the Lord or we run from him. And there are different ways of approaching emotions even. In fact, the religious people sometimes stuff and suppress and try to ignore emotions. And yet we find the secularist, The humanist is oftentimes defined by their emotions. And many of you, if you've heard me teach very long at all, you've heard me say that feelings are not truth. And when I'm talking about those feelings, I'm talking about sinful feelings. Sinful feelings of fear and anxiety, of lust, jealousy. Those are emotions 
that are not true. Those are fleshly emotions. Those are thoughts that come into our mind that can capture our heart that we must take captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And when I was struggling through fear of speaking, I had to take those thoughts captive, every anxious thought, and replace it with the truth of God's word. And God has created us to be able to do that, to literally create new neural pathways in our brain, new ways of thinking as we focus on his word. Now we'll replace the lie with the truth that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I would focus on what is true, literally saying it out loud. What was I doing? I was speaking to myself, telling myself, no, I refuse those thoughts that are not true and I'm replacing them with what God's word said is true. And guess what? My feelings eventually lined up with the truth of God's word because God's word is powerful and it is living and active. But there are also emotions that we are not to ignore, even take captive, we are to process. And those kind of emotions are the emotion of grief. When we've lost a loved one, when we've gotten a very difficult diagnosis from the doctor, when we've been betrayed by a very close friend, those are real events that evoke real emotion that needs to be processed. We need to take it to the Lord. We need to work through it with him. That is the Christian response. When you have no words, God's word will provide them for you. God's word will literally bring health to our souls. So how do we do that? Let's begin by looking at Psalm 1. What does Psalm 1 say? It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not weather, and in whatever he does, he prospers. We will be like a tree planted beside streams of water. In Isaiah 61 verse three, the children of Israel are referred to as oaks of righteousness. What do you know about an oak tree? In fact, they're quite often called mighty oaks. Why? Because they have a deep, expansive root system and an extremely deep tap root that enable them to stand firm in the face of storms. In fact, I found this, it says, with sturdy branches, the oak is able to withstand gale winds, but flexible enough to bend under stress, all supported by a thick trunk. Oaks are made for survival in harsh weather conditions. So that is what we will be, oaks of righteousness, like a tree planted beside streams of water with plenty of water to flourish when we are grounded in God's word, when our foundation is Jesus Christ, when we're depending upon him and we're meditating upon his word day and night, we become oaks of righteousness that are able to withstand the storms of life. And then I would encourage us to not only have God as our foundation, but to keep the end in sight. Live with a kingdom vantage point, an eternal perspective. Psalm chapter 2 says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Kings can come together. They can wage war. People can devise schemes. But the Lord is sovereign. 
Psalm 2 tells us God is on his throne and he is absolutely and completely in control. And we can trust him because we know that he is good. We know that he is good and that he only does good. So we need to live by fixing our eyes on what we know is true. God is in control. His plan will ultimately be fulfilled. Christ is the victor, thus our victory is sure. And then I want to encourage you to trust the Lord in the midst of your pain. And this is where I want us to walk through how we process difficulty, how we process our pain. In fact, Courtney Reesig in her book, Teach Me to Feel, excellent book, by the way, says, what is so comforting about these Psalms is not that there's a swift resolution. There isn't. The comfort lies in seeing that by remembering what God is like in asking hard questions of his soul and in pleading with God according to his character, the psalmist finds God in the darkness. So I want to encourage you, voice your pain. <laughs> Turn to the Lord and voice your pain. In fact, in Psalm 3, it's a Psalm of David when he's fleeing from Absalom and his heart is broken. What does he say? Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God, but you, oh Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah. And Selah means to pause to think about it. Let that sink in is what he's saying. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. In the midst of excruciating pain, the betrayal of his own son, some of his people, his armies turning against him, he was literally fleeing, had to leave Jerusalem. This is what he penned. In the midst of great agony, he turned his eyes on the Lord and he trusted his faithful character, knowing that salvation belongs to the Lord. Two of my other favorites are Psalm 42 and 43. And if you'll turn there, I can tell you when I've gone through difficulties, the Psalms have brought such sweet peace and strength to my soul. They have given me words for my prayers as I prayed them back to the Lord. In fact, when I was pregnant with our third child in our second church, I began to pray Psalm 42:1 every day for months. And it says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. And I ask the Lord to make that a reality in my life. And maybe you're thinking, you know, Donna, I, I've tried to read the word, but it, it just seems cold to me. It doesn't come to life for me. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to give you a hunger for him. Ask the Lord that you would be like a thirsty animal longing for his word. And I remember praying that every day. And after Allie was born, I sat down one day to nurse her and I was leaving my Bible open and I realized I could not get enough. Like every time I had a spare moment, I was picking the Bible back up and picking back up where I'd left off and reading the word of God. And God was speaking to me and it just hit me, just this overwhelming, Lord, you have answered my prayer. I was praying that I would be like a thirsty animal longing for you, seeking you. And God, you have awakened that hunger in my soul. Lord, I have seen you answer my prayer. He is longing to be sought. All you have to do is ask him. He will turn to you. 
Many believe Psalm 42 and 43 were originally one psalm. There's so many similarities there, and 43 doesn't actually have its own heading like so many of them do. But verse 2 in Psalm 42 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession <clears throat> to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping a festival. What is he remembering? He's remembering when he used to go to the temple and he would go in with the throngs and worship the Lord. And now they're unable to do that. And he's longing for that time when he could gather with God's people and worship the Lord. And many of us, that gives voice to what we're longing for right now. We long to be back with those we love, with family members, with church members. To long, we long to gather to worship corporately, to experience corporate prayer, to hear from the word of God. We long to be together because we are created in God's image as relational being and God, beings and God's, God knows our hearts. So I want to encourage you, voice your pain, turn to the Lord, Find a psalm that expresses what you're experiencing and turn it into a prayer to the Lord and ask him to move on your behalf. Ask him to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. I know when our son Grant was not quite two, he started bruising very easily and I took him to the pediatrician, really not thinking anything was wrong because he seemed so healthy. He seemed to feel good. He was active, but he had a terrible bruise on his forehead. His little shins were all bruised up, and the doctor did a blood test. And so he came back in with this extremely serious look on his face, and he said his platelet count is 19,000. Well, I had no idea what normal was, so I thought that sounded like plenty of platelets for anybody. And I said, what's normal? He said 150 to 400,000 platelets. Well, obviously that took the breath out of me. And I said, so what do you think it is? And he said, well, it can be one of three things, leukemia, aplastic anemia, or ITP. He said, well, hope that it's ITP because that's something he could outgrow. It's an autoimmune disorder where your body destroys its own platelets. He said, but the only way to know is to have some tests run. I'm going to send you to the children's hospital in Fort Worth. Well, I can tell you that night before going to the hospital the next day was a sleepless night for us. We wrestled with the Lord. We called the deacons at our church and asked them to come and anoint him with oil and pray over him. And it was in the middle of the night that the Lord spoke to Steve out of his, just his daily reading. Just as he spoke to Moses, the enemy that you've seen today, you will not see again because I'm going to move on your behalf. While you stay silent, God is going to fight for you. That's exactly what he did. The next day, Grant had the test run and we found out he did have ITP. But our ordeal was far from over. It went on for almost two years. In fact, at one point, not long after that, his platelet count dropped to 7,000. I had to go in every two days for his blood work to be tested. And the doctor said, we can either hospitalize him or you can take him home, but don't let him fall. Don't let him bump his head. In fact, he could just spontaneously hemorrhage. Well, that scared me to death. I mean, how do you do that with an almost two-year-old? How do you keep them from running or falling or bumping their head, especially as rambunctious as little boys are? My mother and Steve's mother had both come down to be with us during this time, and I left the house. I had not been away from Grant in several weeks, but I left the house to go to the grocery store just thinking I needed to get away. But honestly, I almost couldn't breathe being away from him because I had been hovering over him, so careful for him, as though it all depended upon me. 
And I remember seeing a mother going into the grocery store with her healthy children, and I almost wanted to stop her and say, do you realize how blessed you are? Your children are healthy. I can only imagine what it's like for those who've lost a child to see parents with children and long to have their child by their side again. But I know the panic that I felt, the anguish that I experienced, the very real fear, and the only thing that sustained me during that time was the word of God and the prayers of his people. That is what gets us through. When we turn to God and we allow his word to voice our pain, to lift our complaints, yes, to the Lord. It's not as though he doesn't know. He knows what we're experiencing. He knows the emotions we're struggling with. And he is more than able to come into us through his spirit and the power of his word and speak peace over our emotions. And then seek the Lord for help. Turn to him. Don't run from him. Turn to him. And then trust his character. We know that he is good. And sometimes we have to instruct our soul. And we'll see the psalmist do that. In fact, David says, oh soul, why are you downcast? Trust in the Lord. He was literally speaking to himself and doing what he knew to do because he knew the Lord was trustworthy. The psalms are literally here for us to comfort us to strengthen us. And during this quarantine, I know it's been extremely difficult. We have precious church members whose parents are in nursing homes and then are unable to see them and the parents don't understand. We have those who've lost loved ones and they haven't been able to touch or even tell their loved one goodbye. The separation, the pain is real. We don't ever want to gloss over that. We have those who are suffering in isolation, those who are dealing with cancers and, and difficult medical diagnosis during a time like this when they want to be surrounded by their family and friends and they can't be. And you know what? These things, these realities can weigh us down if we try to bear them. But what did Jesus say? My yoke is easy and my load is light. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. There are some mamas out there who are weary. Weary. You become a homeschooling mom and you may be trying to work from home as well. On top of everything else you have to do to take care of your family and prepare meals and clean up and do laundry. And I realize you can become weary. Turn to the Lord. Turn to his word. Leave your Bible out. <laughs> Set aside time to be in his word, but then leave his word out so that you can pick it back up in those moments when you have just a few moments and turn to his word and ask him to speak to you. Verse three of Psalm 43 says, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, oh God, my God, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Hope in God. Turn to him. Once again, Courtney in her book, Teach Me to Feel says, the more we fix our eyes on, Je well, I said this, the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more we'll praise him. Here's her quote. Someone tells us of the blessed life. And the outcome of the blessed life, 
you will grow and be sustained by God. Psalm 150, the very last Psalm in the Psalter, tells us the final outcome of all of our lives, endless praise. Don't you love that? That Psalm 1 tells us how to be an oak of righteousness, how to stand on and meditate upon the law of God day and night, and that God will establish us and that he will be our foundation. Psalm 2 tells us to live with an eternal vantage point, to know that men can devise things and wars can rage, but nothing can touch God. He is on his throne. He is omnipotent. His plan will not fail. He will see it come to to pass. In fact, he scoffs as we devise and as we scheme. But then we have the rest of the Psalms leading up to the end of the Psalter, showing us the struggle, the real lives of people who turn to the Lord in the midst of their difficulties, in the midst of living on a dark and broken planet. We find light and truth as we turn to God, as we turn to his word. Yes, the Psalms actually end with five Psalms, 146 to 150, of nothing but pure praise. And that's what we're heading toward. A time when Jesus Christ will wipe every tear from our eyes and we will live to praise him for all of eternity. So I want to encourage you during this time, dig into the word of God. And in addition to your daily reading, your plan for reading through the Bible, I encourage you to read the Psalms every day. You may just want to take one. What I've been doing, and I have have shared, is reading five a day. I take the Psalm of the day. Today's the 21st, and so I read Psalm 21, 51, 81, 111, and 141. It's five Psalms a day. If you do that, you read through the entire book of Psalms every month. It has been such an encouragement to me during these days. In Christ, we have hope. In fact, I want to close with a quote from Tim Keller out of Courtney's book. He says, every possible experience, if prayed to the God who is really there, is destined to end in praise. Confession leads to the joy of forgiveness. Laments lead to a deeper resting in him for our happiness. If we could praise God perfectly, we would love him completely, and then our joy would be full. The new heavens and the new earth are perfect because everyone and everything is glorifying God fully and therefore enjoying him forever. So Psalm 150 gives us a glimpse of that unimaginable future. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. That's why we set our mind on things above. Because Jesus conquered death and he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is good and one day, one day, One day soon, I will be with the one I love. With unveiled face, I will see him. And there my soul will be satisfied. Soon and very soon. COVID-19 will be over at some point. And we'll be able to enjoy our friends and family. But it's never going to be perfect on this side of eternity. But there will be a day when we will enter into and experience endless praise in his presence where sin is banished and every tear is wiped away. Until that day, fix your eyes on him, meditate upon his word, and trust his goodness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have given us everything we need in Christ for life and godliness and everything we need in your word to instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go. 
I thank you, Father, that you understand our pain. You understand loss and grief and disappointment. And Father, we lift it all up to you right now, asking, Father, that you would enable us through your spirit to roll our cares over onto you because you care for us. And Father, we're asking you to speak peace to the turmoil in our hearts as we turn to you to bring peace to our chaos and order, Father, to what feels so out of control. We thank you that you are on your throne and we choose to trust you in the midst of this. And Father, we are asking that your kingdom would come and your perfect will would be done on earth as it is in heaven in all of our lives. Father, we're asking you to have mercy upon your people. We're asking you to protect us from this virus. Father, we're asking you to turn the hearts of the people back to yourself. Father, that this time would not be wasted, that we would seek you above all else. Oh, Father, would you move on behalf of your people? Lord, we ask it. In the name above all names, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.